0: Uh, As Becky said, today is, according to um, uh, the Church calendar and the Church of England, the first Sunday of Advent. I know it's still November, um, and um, uh, there's four Sundays between now and Christmas, including today and Christmas. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It feels uh, like it should be further away than that, doesn't it? Um, But we're beginning our Christmas series here at Grace Church. Um, Christmas rather than Advent actually Uh, apologies if you're hoping for an Advent series Advent is really about Jesus' return rather than his uh, birth Uh, perhaps next year we can have a series all about that Uh, but for now we're thinking about Christmas I think for most people um, Christmas is a a especially meaningful time um, whether happy or sad and I think that's true whether you're a, a Christian believer or not Um, Christmas is a especially meaningful time. Of course, for for Christians, for followers of Jesus, Christmas is extra special. We consider the wonder of that uh, familiar Christmas story, the the nativity, the story of God's promises, all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And we'll be uh, enjoying and celebrating that glorious story, as Beck said, on Christmas Eve out there in the square uh, with um, any... um, friends, relatives, strangers, uh, that we can, Um, with an all-singing, all-dancing, spectacular nativity. No pressure (laughs) to those all all, all organizing it. Oh, and mainly you're you're going to be doing the dancing, I think. Um, But I wonder if you know the story behind the Christmas story. That's what we're thinking about in this uh, Christmas series in Ruth. What if seeing this backstory actually made Christmas even more meaningful, richer, greater, more real, because it's rooted in the real world. What if it helped us uh, see that that ultimately God's promises are for us in the real world? The book of Ruth invites us on uh, a journey a journey where we uh, face up to, to real life in the real world, which begins uh, in, in, um, in this chapter with tears and sadness, but where we discover hope in the darkest of places. And now, Ruth is set in, um, in the days of the judges. If you close your Bibles, open them back up, page 267. It starts with, in the days when the judges ruled. It was a time when people kept turning away from God. Uh, Now, in our Bibles, the book of Ruth is put just after the book of Judges uh, for that reason. um, uh, The book of Judges is the big picture uh, story of what happened, the history of what happened in those days. And Ruth is like zooming in on one particular family uh, in that time. And there's a phrase that kept coming up through the book of Judges. And if you look across the page to the last verse... In Judges, that, that phrase is a repeated phrase, which kind of summarises the idea of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And increasingly in the book of Judges, we, re- we would realise if we were to read it, that, that phrase is really bad news, that everyone did as they saw fit. In our day and age, perhaps we think that's a really good thing, if everyone gets to as they see fit. In the book of Judges, we see that that leads to chaos and disorder and forsaking God and oppressing other people, and so it leads to disaster. God keeps bringing disasters on his uh, people until they cry out to him again. They come back to him, and he sends a a deliverer or or a judge, uh, in old language, why it's called judges, to rescue them and help them uh, come back to God and stick with God. Until that judge dies, and then it happens all over again. And so, we find ourselves in Ruth, in the time of Judges, in one of those times of disaster. In particular, in the middle of a famine. In the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, that's um, pretty awful, but um, I'm afraid it it only gets worse. Uh, It's a pretty depressing read. I don't know if you felt that. As Vince was reading to us, uh, certainly if you hear Naomi's bitterness, you know, no longer call me Naomi or pleasant, call me Mara or bitter, changing her name to show how, how bitter it's been for her. But um, the start in famine is, is, is pretty bad, isn't it? You, you think of those pictures you see on the telly of what it's like for families in famine stricken areas. And this Bethlehem family, Naomi, her husband, the two sons, understandably they're terrified at the prospect of starving to death. So they they upsticks and they move away from the land of God's promise and God's presence to the land of the old enemies of God's people, Moab. In effect, instead of going towards God, crying out to him when there's a problem, They run away from him to a different sort of solution. And so in Moab, instead of finding relief, they find tragedy. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. That's pretty awful, isn't it? But read on. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Imagine the unbearable grief for Naomi. Bereaved. That's bad enough, isn't it? Impoverished. No state aid, no possibility for her to get a job. Impoverished, cut off from all family and friends. She left them all behind uh, in Bethlehem when she came to to Moab. And even cut off from her God. Life was marked by death and tears for dear Naomi. Now, the the places are are critical in this chapter. It's worth getting our head around this. Naomi left the land of God's blessing. Bethlehem actually literally means uh, the house of bread. And she leaves uh, Bethlehem, the house of bread, for the land of uh, Moab, uh, the enemies of God. But the chapter is really about a journey in the other direction, the journey home. And so verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah." Back home to Bethlehem, back home to the Lord, back home to the kindness of God, uh, which uh, we'll see is embodied in in the faithfulness of this foreign woman, uh, Ruth, that God has brought into Naomi's life. We'll come come to that. But if there's one idea or um, word that dominates this chapter, it's that of returning, turning back. The word comes up ten times in the original Hebrew, uh, you can't see them all at all once in the, in the English, but this idea of coming back, uh, back to, to God and his land, is the key idea. And um, uh, we're particularly, I think, um, meant to be considering this idea of turning back in this emotional conversation between Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. They're very aware that they're the only family Naomi has now. Uh, but verse 8, have a look down. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. the word uh, kindness there that Naomi used about them is is an important Bible word generally. If you're interested, the original um, in Hebrew is chesed. You've got to kind of, um, yeah, you've got to be like oh, You've got to be Welsh if you're going to say it right. You've got to have a lot of phlegm in you. Chesed. Um, if if um, the person that you're, you're speaking to isn't drenched a little bit, then you're saying it wrong. Chesed. Um, but, but what it means is uh, steadfast, loving kindness. Steadfast, loving kindness. And the book of Ruth is really about God's chesed his steadfast loving kindness. But Naomi has abandoned hope that she will receive that loving kindness from God. Verse nine, she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud. And, uh, oh, sorry, this is uh, the daughter say, say to her, we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Go back. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Uh, that was the, the kind of tradition there. If, if um, a woman was bereaved, they're meant to uh, marry a, a, a brother. I return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Oh, you still have hope. You could go back to your parents. You're still young could still live a full life. I can't do that anymore. My best times have gone. Naomi's embittered, isn't she? She's become embittered by her experiences. And I think probably we'd all be tempted to feel the same way, wouldn't we? Experiencing what she's experienced. And so she pushes her daughters-in-law away in her hopelessness and in her pain. Verse 14, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But look at Ruth's stunning reply. This really is a reflection of God's faithful, loving kindness. Verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people Will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She gave in. She gave in. Even though uh, Ruth is a Moabite, she's come to know what God's like, and what His people should be like. Uh, The the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. said, Exodus 34, verse 6. The surprise is that, that Naomi is, or at least seems, less aware of the character of God, despite being an Israelite, than Ruth does. And Naomi is enrolled in a school of grace. And she'll, she'll find out what God's like. So um, verse 19, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman explained, can this be Naomi? I don't know if it's because she's changed so much. I imagine it's been a long time, but the grief takes its toll, doesn't it? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She is bitter, isn't she? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Here's the note of hope. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Naomi's uh, pain leads for her to hopeless despair. But despite the fact that she only expects bad things from God, we, we get glimpses of God's plan to bless her. She has decided to come back, and God plans to bless her. And we see that fulfilled in the rest of the book. Uh, but, but we see it uh, in that um, uh, beginning of the barley harvest, as she arrives, but, but we also see it in Ruth's faithful, loving kindness, Ruth chesed to her. The key is... She does return. She does go back. Whatever she's feeling, she comes back to the land of God. She comes back to God. And so we're meant to, as we read this, consider Naomi's direction of travel and our direction of travel as well. Perhaps you find yourself in a situation a bit like Naomi's, where things just seem bleak and hopeless Maybe life seems full of pain. Well, this is for you. Your situation, how you're feeling, need not lead you away from God. They need not keep you from Christ. They can be the spur to come back to him, to come closer to him, perhaps, than you've ever been before. Now, the story um, called Ruth is really the story of Naomi, Her life looks so hopeless when we first meet her. But again and again, we encounter the kindness of God towards her as she comes back to him. And that can be true for each one of us as well. So let me ask you a question. Which way is your life faced today? Which way are you turned as we come into this Christmas season. It's been yet another disorientating year. It feels like we've had a few of those, doesn't it? And Circumstances can do strange things to our hearts. So which way are you facing? Are you facing towards Bethlehem, towards Christ? Are you walking by faith in him? Or is your heart turned away, believing that, Life can be found somewhere other than Christ. I'm not talking about something theoretical. Perhaps there are many here who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But in practice, hope, joy, excitement, the thing that you think about first thing in the morning or going to bed, is really something other than Christ. Which way are you facing? Uh, there's a story, I don't know if you've heard it, of a man uh, who was watching the news one night when it um, came on the on the telly that there's a car, you know, live, going in the wrong direction uh, down a motorway. And the man knew that his wife was on that motorway, so he phoned her up, because um, he was very concerned, you know, for her safety. So he phoned her up, uh, and I'm sure she had hands-free or whatever, but she she answered his phone call, and he said... Uh, dear, there's uh, one car going in the wrong direction on the motorway. Uh, and she shouted, One car? There's hundreds of them! <laughs> if um, if we listen to, to most people around us, uh, we won't do what the passage is telling us to do. And the passage is telling us to turn around. But the voices around us won't help us do that. Uh, most of the voices we hear, whether that's on the telly or... Uh, The things we read, or at school, or at work, or or whatever it is. We won't turn back to Bethlehem. Because most people, especially, I think, at Christmas time, will encourage us to fill up our minds and our hearts, and our joys and our hopes and so on, with meaningless fluff. Entertainment and amusement. We're encouraged to do that for our children, aren't we? If we're parents. To fill up their conception of Christmas with meaningless fluff. Do you know um, the original meaning of the word amuse or amusement? Was to divert from serious business. I.e. to distract. That's what many people are doing with their whole lives. Distracting themselves from the stuff that really matters. Most um, people, most of the time, I know this is often true for me. Uh, We fill our, our time with distraction, amusement, the escapism of film, the mindlessness of social media scrolling, the titillation of experiences and travel, the excitement of sport, perhaps, in the World Cup, the indulgence of holidays, so on and so forth, all potentially okay things. But now, used by most of us to fill a disproportionate amount of our time to stop us having to think and consider our ways and come before God, come back to God. They stop us, those other things, that meaningless fluff, prevents us from more important, from engaging with more important. Matters, Things which have true and deep and lasting value, which none of those things do. (laughs) Because what if we are walking in the wrong direction in life? I remember when I was a teenager, I did um, the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Anyone else do that? Hands up. Some people. The idea of, in the Duke of Edinburgh Award, you're you're encouraged to do all these different things which um, are meant to mould you into... I don't know, a more rounded person or something like that. But part of it was going on a long walk uh, for a few days. Um, and um, and you take tents and, and whatever. And we had to navigate uh, in the wild, and sometimes there was no path and, and so on. So we had to learn to um, get our bearings using a compass and the things around us. And, um, and so we did. And we were taught to check our bearings regularly. Uh, not just to do it once and then just keep walking. But to do it regularly because... If you turn away, even by a few degrees from where you're meant to be going, after a while, you'll end up in a really very different place. Even though you've only turned very slightly away from where you're meant to be heading. Now all of us, however long we've been following Jesus, if we have, all of us wander off course in life. Perhaps some of us know very well we're way off course. But it's much more dangerous, actually, to think we're not off course. All of us wander off course in life. And we all need to turn back if we're going to walk Jesus' way. If we don't, we will end up walking away from him. If we don't stop and reflect on the way we're going, we will all, all of us, wander away from him. Um, in um, November, nineteen seventy-five, you know, in Mexico, there were seventy-five convicts who managed to dig a tunnel out of their prison, um, and um, uh, it, was, it was a Saltillo prison in northern Mexico. There you go, and they, they tunneled, you know, deep under the prison, all the way through the walls, um, under you know all, all of the kind of the, the land around the prison, and up uh, into a nearby building, which turned out to be the courtroom. <laughs> and as they came out, the surprised judges in the courtroom apparently returned them all to jail Media. Um, all because they, they just got their direction a little bit wrong. Uh, now, now, we all get our directions wrong regularly. Uh, we all wander off course. We need to turn back. Naomi knew she was way off course in her life. She knew she needed to go back. Even though she was in the midst of pain and tears and hopeless despair, she turned back to Bethlehem. Will we do the same? Turn back to Bethlehem. Turn back to Jesus. Because if we do, then we will find, like Naomi did, the faithful, loving kindness, the chesed of God. That's a promise of the Bible. God will show loving, faithful kindness towards us. Not... Necessarily in full cupboards of food, uh, like for Naomi and Ruth. Sorry to spoil the story if you haven't heard it before. We'll get there. Um, Not necessarily in full cupboards of food. Not necessarily in long life for us or our loved ones. But in something better than those things. In a real and intimate relationship with a God we were made for. And and therefore, a meaningful, purpose-driven life now. And a certain promise of a perfect life without end yet to come. When we turn away from the promises of Moab, of full bellies, of satisfaction, of safety, financial security. If we turn away from where the world is offering us those things and turn to Bethlehem turn back to Jesus Christ and his rule in his life by his word. Far from making us hungry and dissatisfied, we'll find a fullness and a satisfaction that the rest of the world knows nothing of. We'll find rest for our souls. So, my question for each one of us today is will we turn back to Bethlehem? Let me pray that we would.